a little while and you will no longer see me, and again a little while and you will see me. Then some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying this to us? A little while and you will no longer see me, again a little while and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. They said, what does he mean by this a little while? We do not know what in the world he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Are you discussing among yourselves what I meant when I said, A little while, and you will no longer see me. Again, a little while, and you will see me. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. So you have pain now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. On that day, you will ask nothing of me. Very truly, I tell you, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. the Reverend Sherry Brown. Because in her version of the Bible, what, the world, what in the world is he talking about would be this. Plus other Odessa euphemisms. Oh, oh, oh. I know that things seem a little bright in here. I know that Joel's struggling to take a look at me, even with his good eye. I promise it'll all make sense in the end. The orange shirt, the orange shoes. My wife looked at me like, where'd that come from? We are in the middle, together, in the middle of Lent, which is this weird 40 days that started on Ash Wednesday and ends on Palm Sunday. You might say, that there are more than 40 days Ash Wednesday to Palm Sunday, and you would be right. But we get to take Sundays off from whatever spiritual practice that we have decided to do. Lent is that time where we either stop something, start something, or continue something. I grew up with folks who would stop drinking soda or eating candy for 40 days. Some would stop drinking alcohol. Most would take the time to stop and or put a pause on some vice or another, only to pick up that vice once Lent was over. When it comes to stopping and Lent, I think that the real intent was to stop a habit, because it takes two weeks to start and or break a habit, and to, uh, that was keeping us away from the heart of a spiritual practice and being in close relationship with the Creator. 
So you were supposed to stop something and not pick that something up again. More recently, starting something has become more popular. Starting something that would bring you closer to our Redeemer. If our lives lacked prayer, we would pray more. Haven't picked up the Bible in a while? We read that more during this time. Life too busy? Taking more intentional time for a pause, a season to start something intentional, and to keep doing it once Lent is over. Maybe we were on the right track. So we continue our practice, our practice that keeps us close to our sustainer, but maybe we take this 40 days to tweak what we are doing to make it better, to continue doing something but better or more. 40 days, Sunday's off, Lent. The practice that we have been invited to do by Amy is to take this little rock, remember these, these little rocks, take this little rock and put it in our, in our shoe. Take two and you can put one in each of your shoes. Now don't tell me that you can't do this because when you were all kids, when we were all kids, we would walk a mile or three uphill both ways in the snow to get an ice cream cone. And there was no problem with that rock being in our shoe. So if you don't have a rock or two to see me or Kathy or somebody on staff, this little bowl's here and there's a little bowl in the back, right? Right underneath the, the, the Jesus window and you can get your own little rock. If you've lost a rock, because at the end of the day you were like, I'm gonna get rid of this rock and you tossed it, you can pick up another rock. So we'll hook you up. Same goes to, uh, for all you folks online. If you didn't get a rock, won a rock, lost your rock, because we know that I've lost all my rocks, uh, you know, you can pick up a rock. So we're also smack dab in the middle of a sermon series that we call Rocky Ground, Walking with Jesus in Rugged Terrain. So far we've discussed how to cultivate peace in the midst of turmoil and how to remain connected in times of great disconnection. If you're needing to get caught up with or want to listen to Amy again, you can go to our website and under the worship tab, you hit on archive and watch almost all of the sermons again. Or you can listen to the sermon on Spotify if you want to or uh, Apple Podcast or whatever it is that you do. And you can also listen to the music that Gio and the band and that uh, Leslie and the choir sing on Sundays on our music Spotify channel. How many of y'all knew about that? Thank you very much, Guillermo. And Rick. Christy didn't know, but you know now. And knowing is half the battle. But here you are, stuck in the middle with me. And if it's any consolation, just remember that it's all downhill from, me, from here, minus the ice cream cone. Can you, can you guys hear it in your ears right at the moment? I know that Guillermo can. Go, to the right of me. To the left, stuck in the middle with you. And that's why I don't sing with the praise team. Uh, last week and the week before, and this week is no exception, we have been in the Gospel of John starting at chapter 14. Chapters 14 through 17 in John are known as the farewell discourse and provide us with the final words of Jesus to his followers. 
We learned of Jesus' thoughts on turmoil and peace, disconnection and connection, and today we will explore sorrow and joy. We will also explore the space in between all of these things. Jesus shared with his followers in their day and times are still as important in our day and time. Just a warning for all of us. Yes, me too. Going to lean into sorrow, lean into joy, and I'm also going to lean into the space in between, that gray space. Know this, for me to lean into feelings, yes, I struggle with feelings. It is super hard, difficult, a monumental task. That's why I'm dressed the way that I am dressed today, to draw attention to sorrow, and to draw attention to joy. Just as important, the space in between. Also, I'm going to address this early on. What I'm about to preach on is a wound. It's not open, it's a bit scarred, but a wound nonetheless. I was talking to Amy about this. I think that we have an impossible standard of and uh, uh, for and of our preachers to only preach from scars and not from wounds. If done properly, if prepared well, I think there are some great lessons that can be preached and learned from wounds that are in the process of becoming scars. Some of you will be surprised to find that I am 56 years old. I was shocked to find this out too recently. <laughs> I was with a group of friends who told me that I was old. I was baffled by this actually. But I can remember clearly what happened to me starting on a day at the end of February in 1971. Um, I have a reminder here the palm of my left hand. It, it's there, and it constantly reminds me. Sometimes I find myself just mindlessly rubbing my scar. See, what happened was, was that I was in the fourth month of being four years old when I tripped on my untied shoelaces and fell on a piece of glass. I can remember going to the hospital with my dad my mom waiting for us when we got there, and a Dr. Grass cleaning and sewing up my hand. Going home and eating a burrito with my bandage wrapped around my left hand that seemed to be the size of my four-year-old head. My dad relieved that everything would be okay, and my mom continuing to soothe me. A few weeks later, it was one of those incredible March Sundays, just like last Sunday that hinted of spring, not too hot, not too cold. My mother, sister, and I went to see my grandparents, and my mother had made some discovery in my grandfather's family genealogy, and she was excited to share this with him. When our visit had come to an end, we could tell that the days were growing longer as the sun was still up and shining bright. We said our goodbyes with hugs and kisses, my mom was complaining of a headache as we got into the car. What would happen next would be the longest 13 miles between Canateo and downtown El Paso. A long drive that would not quite get us home. 
you see he's sitting in the back seat, all of four years old. Little did I know, my mother was having a stroke. On a fairly new I-10, my sister was trying to get my mother to pull over and get our, and, get, and let her drive, having just learned at the age of 11 to drive, uh, my, my aunt had taught her to drive on her farm. My mother struggling to stay in our lane, finally allowing my sister to help her keep the steering wheel straight to get us off the freeway at the first available exit. The struggle continued until we were about three blocks away from our home when my mother finally pulled over and my sister ran to get help, leaving my mom and I there. I remember asking my mom what was going on and her answer being that she couldn't see, that she was scared. Remember my dad, my brothers, my sister rounding the corner, my dad sliding my mother across the bench seat to the middle so that she, he could drive. And the next thing I know, I was squeezing my way out of the back seat as my dad pulled up to our driveway on the way to take my mom to the hospital. All this short drive, my mom saying, Rodney, I don't know what's happening. But I'm scared, Rodney. That was the last time I saw my mom. Last time I heard her voice, the last time. Sorrow comes to us all. Sorrow can come early. Sorrow can come to stay. Sorrow can change us, whether we want it to or not. Sorrow comes to a visit in the strangest of ways, too. So a hard turn. Have you guys all seen the Teslas lately? Have you been paying attention? You're a car guy, Steve. Have you been paying attention to the Teslas? They're electric. Not only how they move, but and how they look too. Exciting and very forward. I've noticed as of late that their interiors are exciting too, but very retro as well. White interiors are back in style. That is what jarred me recently. The white interior of a Tesla reminded me of the white interior of my mother's Chevrolet car. Sometimes sorrow comes uninvited again. There was four, not even quite four and a half, left in the space in between, alone. The analogy that I have used to describe this space to those who seem baffled, befuddled, and bewildered by the experience of my sorrow, it, I described it this way when Sarah and I were first dating, is this. Imagine a glass bottle, if you would, on a kitchen counter. You all remember glass milk bottles? If you don't, you can go to an antique store and look at one. Google it. What am I saying, go to an antique store? Google it. So in, imagine this glass bottle on a kitchen counter, and on the floor there are three cats and a kitten, and they all want some milk. So one of the cats jumps up on the counter, and Steve, too, you have no idea what that's like at all whatsoever, right? They have two cats that rule the house. So imagine one of these cats jumping up on the kitchen counter, and it's trying to get the milk, and it accidentally, well, accidentally purpose knocks the bottle off the kitchen counter and 
the bottle hits the kitchen floor and breaks, and there's just a big mess of glass and milk on the floor. The three big cats, they just scatter. They take off. The kitten is left to clean up the mess. That's how I describe my experience. Sometimes sorrow makes a mess. Again, there I was, four, not even quite four and a half, left in the space in between. 52 years is a long time. A long time to live in that space, that gray space, that in-between space. A little while, you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. I think that we, the reason why we find this passage so baffling is, well, Jesus is kind of flippant about it. Kind of sort of like, I'm here, but I'm going to run to the store for a little while, and I'll be right back. I'll be right back. I need you all to know that I do not believe in a Leonardo da Vinci long table, male-only Last Supper. I don't believe that Jesus sat here and, and Judas sat there and Peter was way down there at this long table. I don't believe in that. No, I believe in a more democratic, more social justice Last Supper than that. Picture big room. Probably maybe about the size of this room, maybe a little bit bigger. I mean, it's a bigger room than what most of those rooms at that time were. With seating in the round. Maybe not round tables, but, but they sat in circles. They sat around each other so they could see each other. Kind of like what I would like to do here in this sanctuary. Sit in one big circle. Amy preaching from the center communion in the center, stump the pastor in the center so that we could see each other. Think about that. Anyways, Jesus is there looking at his disciples and not just the 12. Jesus is looking at all of his disciples, more than 12, men and women, children too, that come to celebrate. It's Passover, by the way to celebrate seeing and being with each other, another year of being away from each other, and now they're together once again. If you're struggling to envision it, think of Christmas or some other holiday or holy day that you enjoy gathering with folks to love, that you love and cherish. A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. Everyone is talking amongst themselves, does Jesus mean? What is he saying here? What is, what is going on? Where is he going? All, this, all the feels are taking place, and I mean all the feels are taking place. Judas, who has already betrayed him the night before, is he feeling a twinge of guilt? Peter, second-guessing everything that has already taken place, that he has experienced and is Second-guessing his friend, his rabbi, his teacher. A little while, you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. 
Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. Imagine if Peter or Mary were here to describe to you what is going on. One minute, they're having the time of their lives, fasting, feasting together, laughing, telling crazy stories. I'm telling you, it was just last week that he was telling Lazarus to get out of the tomb. Look at him. He, he's right over there. He, he was dead, and now he's alive. Right there. Look at him. In this moment, they're feeling it all. this moment, Jesus is trying to let them know what will happen, to let them know that they can prepare, prepare to feel, to feel sorrow, then to feel bewildered, befuddled, baffled. What has just happened? What is going on? What does this all mean? He keeps talking in parables I don't understand. You know how the story ends. Jesus wins. But some of us get stuck in the sorrow of the story and forget that there is great joy in the story too. Not just joy for the disciples, but joy for us here, <coughs> there, everywhere. Today, <coughs> tomorrow, next week. Coffee. What's for breakfast? I need you to understand this. The definition of joy that I'm using here is not one of happiness. The definition of joy that I'm using is one of contentment. To feel joy even when sorrow is present. To allow joy to be present even when we are befuddled, baffled, and bewildered. To let joy sustain us instead of allowing sorrow to overtake us. Let me say all of that again like this. To be content even when sorrow is present. To allow ourselves to let contentment be present in our lives even when we truly are confused by the sorrow that may be present too. To let contentment sustain us so that we are not overcome by sorrow. To lean into joy is to be content. The last lesson that Jesus wanted us to learn was that when we have joy in our hearts and we lean into joy, lean into being content, it allows, us for, lo it allows for love to exist. The kind of love that Jesus wants for us to lean into loving, truly loving the Judases in our lives and being present in that moment, not only with love, but with joy too, to lean into the love that we experience with those who are no longer with us, those who have gone on before us, and or those who have just gone on to be somewhere else. To lean into that love 
it'll bring us joy. To lean into the love that bewilders, befuddles, and baffles us, allowing us all loving to love us. Joy is waiting for us there. This joy is there in times of sorrow and in joy. More important, this love is there in that gray space, that space in between where we are baffled, befuddled, and bewildered. When we have no idea what has just happened, is happening, or will happen, if we lean into that love that brings us joy, a joy that strives for us to be content with whatever stage of life we are in, a joy that wants us to know that Jesus loves us, that Jesus loves us and there's nothing we can do to make him love us more, that not only does Jesus love us, he likes us. Let me say that again, that not only does Jesus loves us, he likes us, no matter what we do. Jesus likes us and there's nothing we can do about it. He wants us to know the love and he wants us to know the joy that love brings and sorrow and the gray space and joy. The space of in-between, 52 years, between four years old and now, they haven't been easy. Growing up was harder than it should have been. Growing up at 20, 30, 40 years old was harder than it should have been. Sometimes I would linger in sorrow longer than I was supposed to. Forgot to lean into joy more times than I care to remember. I spent more time bewildered, befuddled, and baffled than I was supposed to. I'm not going to say that I no longer do all of those things. I have my moments. But I have a wife and Sarah who studies my thoughts, who proofreads my sermons, and tells me where I've lost my way. She lets me know more often than not that I can lean into and on her. I have a son in Seth who brings me surprise in my life every day. And I do mean every day. He tells me in no uncertain terms to not take myself seriously because he doesn't. He puts a smile on my face even when being a dad is hard. I'm glad to be present so that he can lean on me. I have friends here, there, everywhere who remind me that I matter to them, that my presence in their lives gives them joy. All y'all give me much joy and make my life full, even the cantankerous ones. And that is what fills the in-between, the time between sorrow and joy. Do I strive for joy that makes me content? So here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Clowns to the right of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I should still not be a part of praise band. In the name of the creator, the redeemer, and sustainer. Amen.